Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 449. I think that all of us should always be very aware of whatever message we put out. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Norman Mayerson. Norman, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, you bet I am. All right. Great to have you here. Norman Mayerson spent 11 years at the New York Times, where he served as the deputy editor of the paper's automobile section. At the Times, he was responsible for assigning and editing articles that covered a broad array of topics, including new model reviews, technology, environmental issues, travel, and motorsports. Norman also led the expansion of Auto's coverage to online platforms, including a blog, email newsletters, social media outreach, and real-time coverage of key events. Norman's first publishing job was at Carcraft Magazine, a Peterson publishing title, in Los Angeles, California, where his office was just down the hall from Hot Rod Magazine. Norman, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career in journalism, and I understand you like to race, too, and your interest and passion for automobiles? Sure thing, Mark. The experience at the Times was a wonderful uh, part of my career, but essentially all of my time since getting out of college in the early 1970s has been automotive journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved to the West Coast from my uh, New Jersey upbringing and always involved in racing and uh, high-performance cars. My first job was, uh, as you said, Carcraft Magazine, and uh, we were very deeply involved in the uh, drag racing scene. I had been drag racing in New Jersey, had built a um, uh, Chevelle Stalker. Nice. And a uh, station wagon, we set the NHRA national record in 1971 with that. Wow. On a uh, very limited budget, a couple of poor kids doing it. <laughs> and when I got to California, we raced uh, on considerably more serious level. Mm-hmm. But also, I think the important thing was the opportunities that I had to work on all sorts of things. The 1970s were the era in which uh, emissions controls came in. We thought it was the, the death of high performance. Got a chance to 
get deeply involved in that. Even today, I have the interest and in, in, in keep up on, you know, electric cars and hybrids. I don't think I'm enthusiastic about them necessarily, but some of them are really pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. As writing weekly car reviews, as I have been more frequently in the, in the past year, if you drive something like the BMW i8, you're really with a, you know, a three-cylinder engine, a three-cylinder turbo, and an electric motor assist, it's incredible the amount of performance, the amount of uh, acceleration it gets, yet still has terrific fuel economy. It's been uh, quite a ride in terms of seeing the progress in the automotive industry. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really interesting how things are evolving, and they just seem to be getting better and better. Cars like you mentioned with the BMW or the Tesla or, or many of these cars that are coming along, it'll be really fun to see what happens over the next 10, 20 years to the uh, automotive industry. At this point, I, I certainly grew up in an era when, when 425 horsepower, the, the Hemis, the, the 427 Chevys, uh, you know, that was, that was the peak, 425. And now, uh, if you don't have 500 horsepower, you're not in the game. <laughs> yeah, seems like every Honda going down the road could beat any old car from the 70s. So. Exactly, yes. And, and 600 is very common. Yeah. You can just walk into the showroom and get it. So uh, as much as my interest in and passion is for older cars, we are certainly living in a golden age of cars, and, and I'm fortunate to have been uh, you know, able to go along for the ride. Absolutely, and you had a great ride. And we're going to learn more about that ride as we move through the questions. But first, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is something that has some kind of meaning or fun in your life, if you will. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Norman, take the wheel. My career has basically been, especially in, in more recent years, has been as an editor. And it's something I very much enjoy and directing coverage and making assignments and working back and forth with writers. So for a long time, I've been editing more than writing. And, and mm -hmm. one of my constant pieces of advice to writers is take small bites too thoroughly. <laughs> yes. I find that writers and explainers of any sort tend to want to range too wide. You need context, but in a professional sense, the ability to limit your topic and explore that topic thoroughly mm -hmm. is very valuable. Often you'll read an article and you get to the end of it and you say, gee, I didn't really learn anything out of reading this 1,000 or 1,200 words because somebody had looked at the subject too broadly and didn't give you any detail. Right. I much prefer to narrow the topic and actually learn something. Tell me something I didn't know. Right. So chewing thoroughly, I think, is uh, before swallowing is, a, is good advice, whether you're reading dinner or um, writing an article or any endeavor. Learn it thoroughly. Well, it's that old saying, uh, a foot wide and a mile deep versus the other way around. I think you're absolutely right. I write a weekly blog for Cars Yeah here, and I'm going to, I'll put that saying, take small bites, chew thoroughly up on my computer. I think that will help me quite a bit. <laughs> Very good. I've always used that saying, uh, you know, how do you eat an elephant one small bite at a time? But, exactly. But yours goes a little deeper, I think, which is will be much more valuable for most people out there. I know it will be for me. So thank you for sharing that. You know, you talked about growing up in a family where you like to drag race. And uh, I know you sent me a picture of a pretty cool car doing a, a wheel stand from back in the day. And from your neighborhood, and uh, that's at the Seattle. 
Ah, Pacific Raceway. Oh, great okay. track. Yeah, I've driven that track many times. Would you share a story with us that instigated your personal passion for cars? Was there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew that you were a car guy? I don't know if there was a moment because of my upbringing. My my father was not a performance enthusiast, but always worked on his own cars, was always current on cars, always knew what the new things coming out were, always reading about them. And that goes back to his father. So my grandfather on my father's side, and oddly enough, his brother, so a great uncle, were successful businessmen before the depression and and always competed and and who would have the, the you know the Cadillac 16 the the Willis <laughs> Knight so there were, that was in the family there was no conversion for me uh, it was genetic <laughs> just oil through the veins absolutely absolutely yeah i think you know there's that big debate uh are car enthusiasts made or born and i've heard both sides on this show people that grow up in a family where there's no interest in cars and they get a passion this is kind of the way for me, although my dad had a cool old MGTC when I was real little, but I wouldn't say he was a big automotive enthusiast, but it certainly set off the tone for me. So there's always that one thing, somebody in the family with a car that pulls up one day and it sparks that interest. Right. One of dad's friends was a a pilot who always used to come by in his Corvette uh, in the 60s. and Yeah. That was no doubt formative. I said, mm, I have to have one of those. <laughs> I think so, yeah. A pilot in a Corvette, that makes sense. Yes. Norman, what I'd love to do now is to go look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced along the way in your career. But the really important part of this question has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you? That's a tough one, I and I don't know specifically how to answer that, but I think that the pivotal point there was when I realized that I was not going to be a businessman, not going to be somebody who opened his own shop if I may have followed the path of other people of, of my age and upbringing. I might have owned a repair shop or something like that because I always worked on my own cars. Instead, I realized that I was far better at communicating. So perhaps the point was when I, in college, realized that I was going to fail calculus, not for the first time, not for the second time, but for the third time. Oh, okay. And, and I, I dropped out of college at that point, and it was right around Thanksgiving, came back the next semester, reapplied, came back the next semester mm-hmm. in a communications major and realized that what I had to overcome was the idea that I was going to be uh, a, a businessman, a scientist, or something like that, mm-hmm. and that my strength, you know, lay somewhere else. Right. And it was, you know, a bit of a failure to face that I was not going to graduate college and was, you know, on the edge, but then came back and and did just fine at it. Sure. Well, you discovered probably not only where your strengths and talents lay, but perhaps even where your passion was settling in. Definitely. Definitely. Well, that's the great thing about college is... It helps you discover and learn what path you maybe should take. I know plenty of people that graduated from college with fine degrees and went on to do something completely Entirely different, right. (laughs) So, you know, nothing wrong there, but I'm glad. And no harm done, no. No, no, it was a good experience. I'm glad you found your path and (laughs) discovered what it was that you needed to do with your life because definitely uh, all of us readers have benefited from that over the many years that you've been doing this. So bravo to you. 
Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I like to call a career aha moment when the headlights come on and illuminate your way for a new direction, a new idea that you had with your career. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. For me, I, I think I stumbled into most of those. <laughs> I don't know that I would I would take credit for anything, but maybe seeing an opportunity and, and jumping at it, mm-hmm. landing at a an enthusiast magazine at a Peterson Publishing, which was the you know they at that time produced a Hot Rod and Motor Trend. That was a natural home for me in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Everything after that, I think, was something of a leap and something of a change when I came back east at various times did uh, support myself as a freelancer but when I came back east I went to work for Popular Mechanics magazine which is a uh, in the automotive section uh-huh. but uh, you know a very much a general interest magazine and there was a lot of doubt from the you know the people I interviewed with was well you're kind of a hot rod guy I'm really broader than that I'm really you know I would like to grow up I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> come to my retirement and be interviewing uh, teenagers putting sunroofs in their Mustangs. I want to go beyond that. The same thing with getting hired by the Times, first getting freelance assignments from them, and then getting a job at a daily newspaper, where I had never worked at a newspaper, never worked at a daily. It's a validation. And you know, that's a risk. Can I do this? Can I master all their systems, all the internal politics? Can I survive at this? And in any of those positions, had there not been a large component of, I don't know if I can do this, I wouldn't have been interested. Mm. If I get to the point where, oh yeah, I, I can do this, I'm bored, Let me, let's move on. So the, the challenge is what was exciting for you? Every time is, is, can I do this? We talked a little earlier about the racing. That was, and I'm, I'm getting philosophical here and, and shut me off if need be. <laughs> I knew I enjoyed racing. I enjoyed the development of the car. I'm, I'm not particularly competitive. I didn't play sports in high school or anything like that. But I enjoyed that level of competition. Mm-hmm. And it took me a lot of years to figure this out. But on Sunday morning, so uh, at a drag race, you do your time trials and qualifying, as, as in other forms of racing. On, say, Friday, Saturday, you're trying to adapt the car to the conditions. Right. And, and get a good qualifying position. Sunday mornings, I was always a nervous wreck. You know, it was always 25 trips to the bathroom, and, and it was always very keyed up until, you know, we fired up the engine and we were ready to, you know, start racing uh, in the afternoon. Right. It occurred to me finally years later that that really was what I enjoyed. Mm, <laughs> that <yeah>. <laughs> it was putting everything on the line, being totally focused on it, and it didn't matter. I still make a living on Monday morning if if I you know did the stupidest thing in the race or mm-hmm. or didn't win or if I won. It had no real bearing on my life, but I was totally focused on it, and that was what I enjoyed. The uh, you know how how crazy it made me <laughs> for that brief time. I think that's an important thing for for people to have in their lives. Oh sure. Well, not only a a diversion, if you will, from what's normal. And certainly going racing down a drag strip at very high speed is not normal for most people. Right. But uh, it certainly is fun. You get to have the camaraderie of other people around you, the excitement of the race itself. All those things combined with the technical aspect of the car, which tied in your expertise as a rider. So it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, definitely a, a time to go, aha, I think I really like doing this. 
How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many over the years with everything you've done, but is there one that stands out for you? I don't know. I, I'm very suspicious of pride. Let, let me say that. <laughs> I think there's a certain smugness in that. I think I like to chip away at things and say, well, we were, we were right, you know. Mm-hmm. I think coming to the New York Times was a, a you know, a big validation for me. I, sure. I was sorry when they decided to, to discontinue the automobile section. I, I think a lot of us were sorry when that decision, <laughs> everyone was going, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, at a time when the industry is very strong, uh, that I'm very glad to see, and witnessing this rebirth of Detroit, which is uh, perfectly wonderful. Mm-hmm. There were moments of recognition and awards here and there. Nothing that stands out. I think I am most proud that I, you know, we've kept my nose clean, and um, you know, we. One of the things you uh, try to get through your career is not having made major gaffes having uh having you know your name show up in the corrections column all the time yeah that's I, a painful I, one <laughs> yes yeah i'm i'm perfectly comfortable with having kept my nose clean in that respect perfect well let's have a little bit of fun here what was your first really special car maybe you could share a memory you have with that vehicle i guess probably it would go back to my the early 57 chevys i had the one that was uh, most unusual was a, a particularly nice 57 Nomad station wagon. Oh, cool. I love those. I certainly love them still. Every time I see a picture, I, I uh, get a bit of longing. <laughs> it was perhaps the most ungrateful car I ever had. When I, in my youth, got rid of it, I was very pleased to, to do it. I was glad to see it go then. The car left me everywhere. Uh, including at one time on the Garden State Parkway, all the left rear wheel studs snapped. Uh-oh. They must have been a little loose. It must have been wobbling, and uh, they uh, they all snapped, which was late at night on a cold night, pulled off to the side of the road in a very dark spot. A friend came out to help me, and, of course, we realized without the studs there, you couldn't just jack it up and put another tire on no, the thing. No, you weren't going anywhere. Yeah. So here I was um, lying under the car on the left side, of course, the traffic side, because I was pulled off to the right, changing an axle in the middle of the night. Um, and <laughs> oh, uh, that was pretty memorable. We, we relive that uh, from I time like to your, time. I uh, like your description, ungrateful car. <laughs> it it uh, did that to me many times, and I, uh, I moved on from there. Yeah. Well, those cars are always interesting to me. You look at them, and you just kind of go, wow, I can't believe they actually built this thing. It looks like, you know, somebody was playing around on a sketch pad and combining things, which was what they were doing, and then they actually yeah. built it. So, uh, yeah, those are great-looking cars. And, I really and like not them. many of them, you know. How did they justify that to the bean counters? Yeah. Uh, that, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to lose money on all these things. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. Yeah, exactly. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you let go that you really wish you had back in the garage? Oh, uh, probably that car. (laughs) The ungrateful one. Yes, exactly. I have a lot more patience these days. Having children will will do that to you. (laughs) That would certainly be the one that I let go of that appreciated the most. Mm -hmm. Those are valuable cars these days. And and mine in particular was a, a nice one. It was factory air and everything. Cool. Cool. Rare options. Yeah. There were a number of 57s and a, and a Camaro here or there that I let go of, but I 
I'm usually ready to move on. I either hang on to things forever or move on and, and don't look back. Well, sometimes that's best. <laughs> I still have the 1972 Kawasaki H2 oh, cool. that I bought in 73. Yeah. Have that here, and I'm in the process of starting my restoration on it. Nice. Yeah, it's something I wanted then. I still think is very neat. Yeah, nice bikes. I love it. Well, how about current projects? We're into the new year here. Are there some things that you're working on in 2016 that really have you excited and fired up? Professionally, I've been working, doing a lot of work in the last year for the Haggerty Insurance, does a number of publications which allow me to be involved in both collector cars and performance cars and, and make a living at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm got a, a couple of projects for them that I'm quite excited about. Nice. Uh, looking forward to. I am also, I would say, the the big mechanical project. Two of them are the, uh, the Kawasaki I mentioned and really digging in on house restoration. We live in a 120-year-old house, and uh, <laughs> it's the same uh, same sort of thing as a, as a car. You can't just walk away from it. Uh, you know, unlike a car, you can't just put it back in the garage and leave it. But I very much like doing that, and uh, I've got I've, I've lived in this house 30 years now, and have uh, looking forward to about a year's worth of house projects. Uh, serious carpentry and restoration work. Wow, going to be busy. Well, we've yes. had many people from uh, Haggerty here on Cars, yeah. We mentioned on our pre-show chat with uh, Rob Sass and Jonathan Stein, who we both know, who write for their mm-hmm. magazines. And, of course, McKeel Haggerty's been on the show. Great company, great people. So uh, you're working with the best of the best. That's fantastic. I think so. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Norman. If you were a car, what type of car would you be and Why? You know, I've always been a Chevy guy, which is odd because my father gave up Chevys after his 52. Mm. He had a 48 that he liked and then his 52. And uh, so very early on, dad turned against them and to to, uh, Chrysler's, Mopars, I should say. Uh You know, the Camaros are too close to my heart. The 67 that I have in my garage, which has been in the family since 79, and the race car I drove was a 67 as well. They're probably just like me. They're a little uncouth. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not very polished, but they get the job done. And I, I, think, I think that's a pretty accurate description of me. Nice, nice. Well, that's why I like that question. It brings out some interesting reflections on oneself. Well, Norman, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. All right, Norman, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Probably go to sleep. 
Um, is, okay, you're going to have to yes. explain when you, this when you a little bit. When you run into a problem and you can't get that bolt out of the exhaust manifold, when you can't decide whether you should buy this car, go to sleep. Sleep on uh, it. Okay, yeah, now exactly. I understand. <laughs> Very good Come advice. Back to, take a look at it tomorrow. There you go. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? I'm very orderly. I think in the refrigerator, the peanut butter really ought to be next to the jelly. And (laughs) that is something that comes naturally or should come naturally to an editor. Uh, You know, the pieces should be in a logical uh, flow of how the reader can absorb them. And uh, that's exactly the same way you would take on any car project. Definitely. How about resources? I know there are many out there with the internet and the web, everything that we get to uh, find in our lives so quickly these days. But is there one resource that you think the Cars Yeah listeners would really enjoy? I strongly encourage everybody to find a a forum uh, for uh, an online forum Mm -hmm. for whatever brand, whatever you're working on, whether it's uh, my, my Volvo station wagon, my Honda Superhawk motorcycle, whatever it is, find a forum get familiar with the people who are on it, uh, participate, ask a lot of questions. It will be a valuable resource. You'll get answers you'll never find in a shop manual. Absolutely. Forums are wonderful. Now, how about a book? This might be tough for you, but is there one book in particular, maybe something you've read recently that you think our listeners would enjoy? Recently, I really liked uh, the A.J. Bain book, Arsenal of Democracy. Mm, Great book, yes. There are quibbles with you know the way he Dame uh, has reconstructed history at times, but a very good read, fascinating piece of history, a fascinating era. That's a good one. Uh, another uh, one that I really like that you may not be familiar with is called a book called Made in Detroit by Paul Clemens. It's a memoir of growing up south of Eight Mile. It really explains a lot about the decline of Detroit mm. uh, industrially and you know, the racial tensions that the city experienced. A very good read by a very talented writer. Excellent. Perfect. Two great books that you re- uh, recommended there. We really appreciate that. And I'll remind our listeners that you can find links to all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Norman Mayerson. And Norman's last name is M-A-Y-E-R-S-O-H-N. And there's also a great place on the Cars yeah! website, Guest Recommended Books, where Norman's book and all the past guest books are listed where you can do a quick click to buy and make your reading uh, much more interesting and fun and fast. So, Norman, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price because I'll buy you whatever you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, well, yeah, let's let's get that delivered right away. Yeah, let's get the check in the mail. What would that one vehicle be and why? This year is the first time I've uh, ever got to uh, Pebble Beach. I've uh, been to more concours and thing concour uh, events and things like that this year than than ever before. I think the two most beautiful cars in the world are the uh, Jaguar C-Type and the Ferrari Daytona. Mm. But I think any car that I were to keep forever would have to be one that I could do all the work on myself. Mm-hmm. And probably be the 67 Camaro I have. Oh, um, cool. I, I like it. Every time I get in that car, I say, this is a cool car. <laughs> 67 is the year I graduated college. I would be just fine with it. Wow, well, you're making things <laughs> easy for me. I don't have to buy you anything. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a cheap date. I could just buy you some parts and things. How's that go? <laughs> Very good. What color is your Camaro? Uh, it is 
a purplish color called Royal Plum, which uh, yes. a lot of people don't recognize, don't realize was an original color. It, it's not that rare in terms of the production numbers. It just came and went. But I think it's particularly pretty. I think most people think of that color more for the Chrysler's, the Plum Crazy exactly, uh, color yeah. than for a Camaro. So very unique, very cool. Well, uh, nice choice. I'm glad you already have the car. You're making things a little easier for me. So uh, I'll send you a can of wax and you know, very little, good, some, very good, uh, a gift certificate yeah. to a parts maybe, store. Maybe some um, uh, high octane gasoline. Okay, <laughs> I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, some race fuel. That's what we yeah, need. Yeah, right. Some cam too. Well, you have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Is there one parting piece of guidance you might offer us before you drive off down the drag strip in your 67 Camaro? (laughs) I think that all of us should always be very aware of whatever message we put out. Be aware of what the recipient's level is. I, As an editor, I call that adjusting for the level of presumed knowledge. And I think that's what we should all do in all our communications. We should try to connect with people at the level they're at, not at the level we want to push out. Mm -hmm. And I think we make good connections that way. In in the car world, there are a lot of different levels and a lot of different people who have a wide uh, swath of interest. You know, try to find that in uh, whoever you're working with and adjust to it and you'll you'll connect very well what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you or find out what you're doing do you have a website or facebook page or blog or editors are somewhat invisible (laughs) but uh you know quick google search will turn up my byline and recently in car and driver did a series of articles Mm -hmm. on the Haggerty website i've uh, done a number of car reviews and articles about collecting and at the New York Times I had some opportunity to write most of the time I was too busy with other things how about LinkedIn are you on LinkedIn I am okay okay maybe we can put a profile page up there for folks to uh, absolutely read a little bit more about you well listeners again you can find links to everything we've talked about here today at carsyad.com slash Norman Mayer Center just type Norman into the search bar his show notes page will pop right up Norman, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and with the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much, Mark. Been my pleasure entirely. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!